Sometimes I, I, I've, I think we take for granted the things that we have. Don't you? I mean, we have so many things. We, we don't appreciate them. You know, like, like cell phones. I mean, my goodness. Who would have thought that you could talk to someone on a phone not connected to a cord in your house? But yet, that's where we are. What about remote controls for your TV? I mean, I can remember when my brothers and I would fight over who had to get up out of the cow off the chair and go change the channel. Or having heat in the winter, air conditioning in the summer. These are things that we take for granted. And it's when we have to go without something that we're used to having that we really start to appreciate it. Like that electricity after a power outage or clean socks. When we go without them, we appreciate it when you have it. Back in the year 2000, I was invited to attend an international evangelism conference uh, sponsored by the Billy Graham Association. It was held in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And but when we got there and we, we met for our briefing at the local seminary, we Americans were reminded that in the Netherlands there's no freedom of speech. Anything that we say to somebody that they would take as offensive could get us in trouble with the authorities. It's because the Netherlands is a a tolerant society. And they try to be as accommodating as possible to everybody's views. So there we were, we Americans, and we realized that we had taken for granted the freedom of speech that we have in, in this culture. And I tell you, in a culture in which you don't have the freedom to, to say what you want to somebody, that makes evangelism difficult. How do you share your faith without getting arrested? See, the, the message of Jesus is not comfortable. It's not accommodating. It's not even tolerant. It's scandalous. In the Gospels, Jesus would say something and people would become incredibly offended. Others thought that he went too far and they walked away from him after they had initially followed him. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus says, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, he's not referring to war versus peace here. He's just saying that if we follow him as his disciples, it's going to bring division. The name of Jesus doesn't necessarily bring us together. It can cause a divide. I remember a doctoral student that I knew at Asbury Seminary uh, who was from a country in Africa that was very anti-Christian. And he was writing a dissertation topic um, that when his government found out that he had written it and it was published, uh, he was going to get in trouble. Uh, some of his friends from, from, from that country warned him that it could cost him his life if he wrote this thing. And I remember saying to him, brother, there are so many different topics. Why don't you choose another one? Why do you have to write this one? And he said, if I don't share what needs to be said in Jesus' name, 
I would stand ashamed before God someday. This man was so committed to the life-saving message of Jesus that he didn't let anything hinder him or get in his way. And that brings us to our scripture passage today. We find the Apostle Paul in Rome, probably an older man, possibly near the end of his life. He had just arrived in Rome from Jerusalem where he was arrested by the Jewish leaders for spreading the Christian message. Now since Paul was a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal to Caesar, which meant that he wanted to be put on trial in Rome instead of Jerusalem. The chances were high that he would still be executed, but at least it would bide him some time. He could get away from these Jewish leaders that, that wanted uh, him to be uh, executed. So Paul boards a ship going to Rome, but like so many ships did and, and during that time, it, it was sunk at sea. But during the storm, Paul took over leadership, even of the centurions and the guards and the other prisoners, and he, and he encouraged them. We're going to get through this. God's going to help us. We're going we're to make it. And they swam to an island where they had to stay for three months until the weather was better. And then they finally made it to Rome. Three months on an island, and we get frustrated when we have to sit on a tarmac for two hours. He was stuck on an island for three months. So when Paul arrived in Rome, the very first thing he did was to arrange for the Jewish leaders to meet with him. Now, doesn't that sound kind of crazy? He was running from the Jewish leaders. They wanted him killed back in Jerusalem. So he gets to Rome, and the first thing he does, since he's under house arrest, he can't leave, bring all the Jewish leaders to me. I want to meet with them. I mean, this is incredibly dangerous behavior. But you know one thing I love about the Apostle Paul? He had a courage that was beyond himself. He knew that these Jewish leaders needed to hear about Jesus. Even though, by doing so, he was putting his own life at risk. So in verse 21, the Jewish leaders come to his little apartment. But... Thankfully, they say, you know, um, we don't really know who you are. We haven't received any letters from Jerusalem about you. The council in Jerusalem didn't send anybody here to warn us about you. So we don't really have anything against you. So tell us about this person that you've been arrested for preaching. Some of them ended up believing becoming Christians. Some of them didn't. Paul even used a passage from Isaiah 6 to teach them. So in the next two years, Paul lived in this apartment where he was under house arrest, probably chained to a centurion who would lose his own life if Paul escaped. So he couldn't leave. But what's fascinating about this passage of Scripture is what we find in verses 30 and 31. Listen to this. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome in his own rented house. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God 
and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did so without any restriction at all. See, for the first time in a very long time, Paul didn't have to worry about threats to his life because he was preaching the name of Jesus. He preached, he taught, he welcomed everybody who visited him, and nobody tried to stop him. He was under house arrest, but he was enjoying freedom that he wasn't used to. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever tried to stop you for saying the name of Jesus and for encouraging them to give their lives to Jesus? Let me ask another question. Have you ever encouraged anyone to give their life to Jesus? A lot of us haven't because there's a lot of social pressures there. But you know what? We can't be imprisoned for it. We can't be executed for it, at least not in this country. But notice how Paul just didn't share the message of Jesus with people. Verse 31 says he shared the message with boldness, with courage, without fear at all. Let's think about our own lives. Are we living a bold faith? Is that how someone would describe your relationship with Jesus? Boy, she has a bold faith. Or are we living what the world might call an accommodating faith? I'll believe what I want, you believe what you want. Let's just not worry about it. That's an accommodating faith. Are we willing to alienate people because of how we proclaim our faith with boldness. I mean, we're definitely bold about sharing our political views, aren't we? No doubt about that. We're not afraid to try to convert people to our political party. We're bold in cheering for our sports teams. Absolutely. We go see a movie and we can't wait to tell our friends, you've got to go see this movie. But why don't you think Christians are more vocal about sharing Jesus with people? I mean, for for the first time in his life, Paul was a prisoner whose wrist was chained to the wrist of a Roman centurion. And Paul was able to share his faith unhindered. Nobody stopped him. And think about that centurion. How many times did he hear the gospel preached? Do people try to stop us from sharing our faith? Maybe not because we're not real good at sharing our faith. A few years ago, my grandma Voigt went to be with the Lord. She was quite a woman. We jokingly called her the white tornado because she was everywhere. She wouldn't stop. 
I remember my grandma being unapologetic about her faith. If she had doubts about anybody's commitment to Jesus, she would ask you about your faith. When my brothers and my cousins were in, and I were in high school and if we ever were, we had friends or we started dating, she wanted to know if they were Christians. She was so concerned. She'd remind you every time that she talked to you why you should live your life for Jesus. I mean, this old German Lutheran from Iowa was deeply concerned about the spiritual health of the people that she loved. Her concern, which kind of drove us crazy from time to time, was out of love for us. That's why she did what she did. If we truly love somebody, shouldn't we want to make sure that they know who Jesus is? The number one need in people's life is not financial security or rights or personal freedoms or health care. It's Jesus Christ because only he can transform their lives. The book of Acts is about the actions of the earliest Christians. It begins in Jerusalem It takes us on a journey all across the Roman Empire and it ends up in Rome, the nation's capital. Acts chapter 1 begins with the 11 disciples who were left huddled in Jerusalem, not knowing what they should be doing. And it ends with Paul, a former Jewish Pharisee who helped to persecute the followers of Jesus until he accepted that same Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the very last word in the book of Acts, as it's written in Greek, is unhindered. Paul didn't let anything get in his way when it came to his commitment to Christ. Or when it came to opportunities to share his faith in Christ. He shared his faith in an unhindered way. He lived his life for Jesus, whether he was preaching in Athens, or making and selling tents for a living, or living under house arrest in Rome. Everything he did was for Jesus. One of my heroes that I've known in my life was a man named Dr. James Truitt. Jim was the chairperson of the economics department at Baylor University and and a member of First Methodist Waco when I was pastor there. Jim's life was about one thing. It wasn't about economics, although he was a genius. It was about supporting the work of missionaries. That's what Jim was all about. I remember him praying for promotions at Baylor. 
Because it would give him more money to give to missions. Not more money to get a bigger house or to be more financially secure. He would pray to get a raise so that he could have more money to give to God. In fact, Jim was such an economic genius. The way he worked things out, the way he simplified his life, he did all kinds of things. He was able to give away, listen to this, 40% of his income to the church. Still raised his family, still lived in a nice home, still got a new car every once in a while, went on vacations, but he simplified his life. God blessed him in his faithfulness. See, his career was not just to provide for his family, but it was to further the work of God in the world. That's why he worked. Dr. Jim Truitt lived an unhindered life because he didn't let anything get in his way of what he believed was God's call on his life. So, how do you know if you're living an unhindered life? How do you know if you have an unhindered faith in Jesus? I think you probably already know if you do. You know yourself. You know if you're living an unhindered life. When you wake up every day, what's on your mind? Oh, I gotta get up. Time to make the donuts. Remember that commercial? For me, it's I wonder if the automatic coffee maker worked. What if we woke up and we were excited about all the opportunities God's going to give us for ministry? Whose lives can I transform through God this this day? Who is God going to bring into my life? Y'all, I'm not talking about an idealistic existence. I'm talking about reality. That's what it means to live a faith that is an unhindered faith. We're not going to let anything get in between ourselves and Jesus. See, all of us in this room, even those of you in the balcony, we're all in ministry. Everybody in this room's in ministry. Ministry just isn't for pastors. Your ministry may not be in a church every day. It may be more effective than our ministry because you're in the real world every day. And if God has placed you in the real world every day, he wants us to have an unhindered faith because that's what the world needs. Your world, where you are, the people that you encounter every day they need to see Jesus through you they need you to have a faith in Jesus Christ that has no obstacles in it and all the things in your life nothing should be more important to you than your relationship with Jesus 
Because nothing is more important to Jesus than his love for you. Let's pray together.